What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, my former colleague and a good friend, Scott Agnes, who covers the Indiana Pacers for Fieldhouse Files, joins me to discuss the future of Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, Lance Stevenson. We'll preview Indiana's draft and free agency plans and a lot more coming up on the podcast. Scott, appreciate you hopping on the line with me, brother. How's everything your way? Things are good. Uh, good to be on with you, Michael. Appreciate the invite. The, the big thing I always tell people right, right about this time is I'm on, in unusual territory. It's not very often or really in my lifetime too much where the Pacers are playing games that don't matter. And right now they're out of the postseason contention. And so these, these final games are just a little bit weird on my front, I'll admit. You bring up a good point. Indiana has never been a team that's uh, really been in a tanking or full rebuild mode. But, you know, as we look ahead towards the summer uh, and the offseason, a little bit of a debate, I think, around the league and curiosity with this team, whether they're going to fully rebuild or retool and and try to somewhat compete uh, next year. You know, this season obviously has been underwhelming. compared to expectations that they had going into the season. But um, they've certainly been an interesting team from the eyes of other executives around the league who have been keeping tabs on some of Indiana's players. Definitely uh, wanted to get your thoughts on a few of them. And I I think the first guy and the most notable guy would be Miles Turner. Um, Miles Turner's name came up at the deadline. And as I reported on Hoops Hyped and wanted either two first-round picks or – a promising young player in a first round pick in exchange for him. Then he gets hurt. Um, and that kind of torpedoed his, his trade value at the deadline, especially because teams didn't know if he was going to play or not. Uh, and as we've seen, that has not been the case. Um, looking ahead to next season, he's going to be in the final year of his deal for $18 million. You kind of know what you're getting with miles, you know, about 13.7 rebounds two three blocks a game. Uh, you know, at 26, on paper, he's young enough to still be a part of a rebuild or a retool. But is center going to be a position on a rebuilding team going forward that they're going to want to spend on uh, when he's going to be due potentially a pay raise by next summer as long as he comes back and shows he's healthy? Um Before I get your thoughts, Scott, I I had spoken with four NBA executives who told me they believe Miles Turner can still get a protected first round pick outside the lottery if he's traded this offseason. And so I followed up and I asked the executives, which teams do they believe could try and trade for him? And the usual suspects came up, including Charlotte, Toronto and Dallas. When you look at the landscape for Miles Turner going into the offseason. What do you foresee in your crystal ball, whether he's on this team or not, by the start of next season? Yeah, this is probably the number one question. Maybe it's Malcolm Brogdon, but I think it's got to be Miles right now, mainly because there has been just such a significant turnover in players the last couple of years. I mean, this year, they have 29 different guys that have played on their roster. They have 25 wins as of this recording. So they're going to have more guys that have played on this roster than total wins this season. But with Miles, yeah, I think it was very serious that they were looking to trade him before the trade deadline, but then everything just stopped 
in mid-January when he wasn't feeling right, had a couple of bad games. They did uh, further testing, and that revealed he had a stress reaction in his foot. And, you know, the first thought you have is big men and feet. And for Miles, it's the second type of injury to a foot area that has not allowed him to finish the season now for the second straight year. Last year, it was turf toe. Totally different injury, but again, then your foot, and then this being a, a stress reaction. And if you continue to play on that, that becomes probably a stress fracture, which TJ Warren has had several times now. So big man in feet is, is the concern. Like you said, Michael, he's young enough. He's really should be just now entering his prime. He's at his utmost confidence. And I think we completely know who he is as a player and what he provides. However, he continues to, he wants a greater opportunity, specifically offensively. And he was going to get that then at the trade deadline when the Pacers finally uh, decided that enough's enough. We've hit that expiration date on the last team. They have to make moves, and they did with moving on from primarily Domus Sabonis, that being the main guy, but there were three different trades and all. And so that left that real opportunity then for Miles to get what he wanted here in terms of being more of a focal point. And he fits more the bill of what Rick Carlisle, I think, is trying to do here in terms of playing style. And offensively, he's that five, five out, three-point threat. Um, and on top of that, the Pacers' defense for the last several years has been atrocious. And going along those same lines is Miles has missed significant time during those two years. So just defensively, they could really use him and, and be back there. But $18 million, they're going to have some cap space. You're going to have to spend it on a center there. Um, my belief going into next season is you either have to trade or extend them. You're not going to bring him back, I don't think, entering the final year of a contract. I doubt that would happen. I guess you could still trade him at the trade deadline. My current thinking is they'll, they'll bring him back. He's coming off an injury, and finally they'll be able to see what he looks like with now the new face of the team with Tyrese Halliburton. Then you, then you could... Um, decide to trade him at the trade deadline, but in that that's where you could maybe get something back for him in return. But they would need to see that he's healthy enough. Um, but this is a, this is that big toss up, and I think a question that the Pacers will have to answer with Rick Carlisle what he wants moving forward. Now you mentioned those teams; I, I would laugh because those are the same teams that have been after him and targeting him for you know two or three years. It seems like the Charlotte's, Dallas, Atlanta at one time, the Lakers had made calls about him previously. Toronto could be in there. Um, and I, I know if he does get traded, Dallas would definitely be one that interests him personally because that's his hometown team. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned, uh, you followed up about those three teams. I agree with you. You know, Charlotte, um, you know, someone joked with me about like getting a center for them has kind of been the great white whale. And I joked with them. I was like, I was like, well, you know, no pun intended, but they've had uh Cody Zeller, and now they've got Mason Plumley, so they got half of that down. Um, <laughs> but then you've got, <laughs> and then you've got, um, you know, Toronto. Right when when they traded for Thaddeus Young, that kind of surprised me a little bit. I thought, um, if anything, they were going to try to get Nicholas Claxton from the Brooklyn Nets. The way they were trending and and getting more of a traditional type of center there, and and Dallas, you're right. That well, Dallas also always gets linked to. A ton of people. Um, you did bring up the point about uh, Miles and and his feet and how that is a little bit of a concern for people. No question there. Um, also, the cost value, right? Because this guy is, you know, eighteen million next year, 
His next deal could be, you know, north of 20 million, depending on how he comes back and if he's healthy. So you've got to weigh that uh, cost spending if it if it's worth it for them. Um, but still a lot of people around the league do value what he does as a guy that can stretch the floor and block shots um, at the center position. It's kind of the new age mold that teams want out of centers uh, these days. you got to be able to space the floor. Um, you know, with that in mind, I think, you know, a protected first round pick outside the lottery, it could be a worthwhile gamble. I mean, if I was Charlotte, I would consider it for sure. Um, but, you know, with that said, um, you had also touched on if it wasn't Miles Turner, that was kind of the guy to keep an eye on. Malcolm Brogdon was the next name that rolled off your tongue. And now going into the offseason, Brogdon can be traded. Um, you know, that hold on his extension that did not allow him to be traded uh, will be expired by that time. He's owed $67.6 million over the next three seasons, according to our Hoops Hype salary page. Um, several executives I've spoken to believe Indiana will certainly be open to trading him this offseason as the Pacers look to build around their young backcourt core in Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte. Um, you know, when I when I polled those executives, some executives believed his contract extension and being under team control for three seasons looking ahead makes him more appealing. But others were scared off and a little bit on the fence due to his injury history. And, and we've seen it this season. He's missed time um, as well. One thing I thought was interesting, and I want to get your perspective on one executive mentioned to me specifically that Indiana traded their best player in DeMontis Sabonis for a younger player in Tyrese Halliburton that plays the same position as Malcolm Brogdon. So to him and to other executives on a broader scale, it signaled a change in the direction for the franchise and that Brogdon could be more expendable. These executives certainly think that um, teams are going to be after him to try to get an upgraded point guard and that Indiana certainly would be willing to listen. Given his age, um, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily a fit for a rebuild. If they retool, that could be a different uh, story there. But I I thought the point about trading their best guy and Sabonis to get a younger player at the same position did speak volumes. And we've seen this, right? When executives are trying to buy time, they're going to go that rebuild route. We saw it with Orlando previously when they cleaned house with Vucevic, uh, Fournier, and Aaron Gordon. When you look at Malcolm Brogdon's future when it comes to Indiana, what do you think uh, is in the forecast for him? Yeah, so first, Michael, I can kind of I want to clarify the one thing. They are not going to undergo what most people would consider a rebuild, meaning let's just trade off all these assets Let's get super young. Let's get a lot of draft picks. Obviously, like OKC is a far end of one spectrum. They're not even going to go close to that. They're, they're just, as they put it, they're trying to reshape the roster. And, and what that executive told you, a new direction, that's exactly right. Um, just kind of reshuffling the deck a little bit, getting younger, getting healthier is another big priority because they've had just seasons after seasons after seasons 
derailed by injuries. They have over 350 games this season lost due to injury, Michael. Like, it's unbelievable. They, they never even be, were able to see the true possibility uh, of the last group. Karis LeVert was here less than a season. He never was teammates and played out on the floor with T.J. Warren. Like, that's the fascinating thing. So, <laughs> trying to get healthy and such. So, with that said, um, in terms of Malcolm Brogdon, I, I don't see a complete duplicate skill set because in my mind, I think they're two different players in that, to me, the Pacers finally, and Tyrese Halliburton, Michael, got their first point guard that they've had in decades, a true point guard that is getting assists. I mean, since he came over here, Tyrese Halliburton's third in the league in assists per game. He's been special, whereas Malcolm Brogdon, to me, is his best role is what it was in Milwaukee more so, where he is that off-ball guard where he can knock down the three-pointer. Remember, that's, when he, that's where he was a 50-40-90 guy. It's not when he has the ball always in his hands where he's always the point guard where he's um, most effective is knocking down a corner three, catch and shoot, and also attacking. He's the best playmaker right now on this Pacers team. Um, so if anything, I would like to see if he does come back, Tyrese be the true one, Malcolm be that off-guard spot. Now, um, the ones that... The, the, individuals around the league I've talked to, I think for the most part, that contract extension, by the way, two years, 45 million, they gave him before the season um, is more of a detriment, even though it is an understood cost. Now they know that Malcolm's under contract three more years at that cost. Um, But in mid year next year, he's going to be 30. And he he had the injury history all the way back to his days at university of Virginia. Um, The, (laughs) <laughs> it's just countless times he's, he's dealt with injuries right now. It's an Achilles injury. Although he's closer to a hundred percent, he's been sitting out strategically. I would say the last couple of weeks more for rest purposes, they say. Um, but long story short, I, I think they'll absolutely gauge the market on Malcolm. I would not be surprised if he has moved, if they can get some good value that would then open some cap space for them as well, because he's the highest paid player on the team. And they are all in, certainly, on Tyrese Halliburton being the new face of this Pacers roster. You bring up a good point about his injuries dating back to college. That's one of the reasons uh, he previously had fallen in the draft uh, during his his class. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people at the time were maybe a little bit surprised by that. But uh, you, as you mentioned, those injuries were certainly on the minds of executives, and they're going to be now. Interesting to hear from the people you talk to that it's it's viewed as a, a detriment. Um, the executives I spoke to, a little bit more split, but I could certainly see, obviously, that side of the coin. Um, in terms of them... One, one, thing I, one thing I do want to add, Michael, because mm-hmm. it's noteworthy. You talk about the franchise's willingness to move him or not. I reported back in the fall during the, this whole Ben Simmons thing, and given <laughs> Daryl Morey's not trading you know, for Malcolm Brogdon for, to, get, to give, give off Ben Simmons. Not at all. But I can tell you, before they agreed to this extension with Brogdon in the fall, they checked in one last time and go, hey, look, Philly, you know, we're gonna, he's not going to be eligible to be traded if we do this extension. Are you sure you don't want him? So that tells me right away they're going to be open to trade him this summer if there is a deal to their liking. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought maybe at the time the practical thing would be Brogdon, Levert, and you know picks and stuff for Ben. Um, you know, way back when, but uh, you know what? Kudos to Daryl Moore. He held down, and they ultimately got James Harden. And for better or worse, he's going to sink or swim on that um, on that 
that ship. So we'll see. But uh, excellent point there as far as uh, Malcolm. And then, you know, my, my thing, Scott, when I look at the team and why I kind of agree with the executives that they're certainly going to be open to moving him and, and your assessment as well. You've got Chris Duarte, who you're trying to develop. He's an older rookie. And you then also have Buddy Heald. That's a lot of guards. And I don't know if there's enough ba- there are enough basketballs and playing time to go around. Um, where does Buddy Heald factor in at all in, in this scenario and, and Indiana's future plans? Yeah. So initially I go, Oh, this is, this is obvious. They're trading for Halliburton. They're going to, they're going to buy out Tristan Thompson, which they did do. And then we saw this past off season, there was a market for Buddy Heald. They can just repurpose him. And this trade was basically to get Tyrese Halliburton. However, I've gotten, a little bit more blowback on that saying because we've seen what buddy can provide for this team. They've really desperately needed shooters. They've kind of had one good shooter in the last couple of groupings of teams. There was Boyan Bogdanovich who then left and went to Utah. They really thought they were going to be able to re-sign him. And that's a whole different conversation because what Miritich changing his decision, signing overseas, and it was a trickle down effect. Then Doug McDermott was solid, but then he became more of a player that, contributed with his backdoor cuts and layups more than he was a three-point threat. Certainly, uh, he had a hard road home road split where he was a great three-point shooter on the road and not so at home. But they've needed a, a good, reliable three-point shooter, and, and Buddy has, has proven that over his time in the league, um, pushing 37%. He's also an excellent free-throw shooter, um, but he does have that little bit higher of a contract um, early 20s, like 22 million. Not too bad. He's under your control for two more years. This is how I see it. I don't think Buddy's a, a sure thing to be moved. I think if the Pacers got something significant, something that really was interesting to them, maybe a, probably a first round pick and a rotational player already, um, that's generally what the Pacers like. Um, they don't want just straight draft picks. That is not what Herb Simon, the team owner, likes. He likes guys that um, you, you know, can contribute that they already are contributing. They're kind of more of a known commodity as well. So I would think for Buddy, if you could get, say, a first-round pick and a rotational guy, French starter, I don't think that's too high for Buddy and what he can contribute. Um, Buddy, Buddy needed a fresh start. He, he was reinvigorated by the trade after kind of playing in that island that is Sacramento with no hope. And Scott, it's it's ironic, you know. We touch on a lot of these guards and 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 some big names on this roster. We can't forget about probably the most popular guy on the team, ironically, Lance Stevenson. Um, you know, you talk about a guy who's been uh, reinvigorated and whatnot. You know, the way you touched on Buddy Hield, uh, Lance Stevenson. You could see the pure joy uh, for him being back in Indiana. Um, there's always been a loving relationship with Pacers fans and Lance Stevenson and uh, Lance Stevenson wants to resign with the Pacers as a free agent this off season, uh, a league source close to Stevenson told hoops hype, whether Indiana goes into a full rebuild or they retool Lance believes he's fit, a fit for them in either scenario. Ultimately, he wants to spend the rest of his career in Indiana, I'm told. Um, Scott, you know, you had broken when Lance was going back to the Pacers. 
what has he provided for this team currently? And looking ahead, uh, what do you foresee for his uh, potential long-term future in Indiana? Yeah, I mean, it's been special. I mean, his first home game back right at the right at the new year. And by the way, it's his third time coming back uh, with the Pacers, and he was on pace to re-sign with them before the Orlando bubble, and then the pandemic happened, and that never happened. But there's just a special relationship, a family-type feel. Like, he just loves Pacers fans, and they love him. I mean, even when he checks in off the bench, he gets a long, louder applause than anyone. Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, anyone. And he hadn't played here for, like, four years. And so um, a lot of that is, to familiarity, the fact that he was on the team for four years a decade ago, and he was on those teams that went to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. So I also think there's that warm, fuzzy memory for Pacers fans of uh, he was on the team when this team was last relevant, which was almost a decade ago. But yeah, and I, I, I've heard everything you did in terms of reporting with Lance. He'd love to be back, and he'd love to finish his career here. He's made the mistake twice before of leaving and things not going well, he's not going to make that mistake uh, anymore. And I have a big feature coming up with him here that'll probably be out in, in less than a week with Lance. But I think, honestly, Michael, this is going to come down to what does Herb Simon want versus what Rick Carlisle wants. What I was told is that Herb Simon was the big proponent of bringing Lance back. He doesn't seem to me to be a Rick Carlisle guy just in terms of how he's played or appreciated and such. Um but, yeah, so I, I think it'll be as simple as does Herb Simon want him back or not. Interesting dynamic there. Um, again, folks, this is why you should subscribe to Scott on the Fieldhouse Files. He has these type of in-depth nuggets that you're not going to find anywhere else. Um, and, and, Scott, another guy on the uh, bubble to come back, if you will, an ironic pun because the last time we saw him was – when he was in the bubble, really dominating TJ Warren. He'll be 29 next season, and he's missed basically two seasons after he lit up the bubble like, you know, Times Square on New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> does, does he, does, does TJ Warren get, in your opinion, like maybe a Zach Collins type of deal or, uh, a one plus one, maybe something like Malik Monk, where he just signs a one-year deal with a team where he knows he's going to play and hit free agency next summer and try to um, rebuild his value. Like He's a tough guy to peg, I think, as far as what's going to happen with him. So uh, being around this team, Scott, is there a scenario where T.J. Warren comes back? And, and, and what do you think his market would be uh, when you look ahead towards the offseason? Yeah, if I'm executives across the league, I don't know how you're not scared off by what you've seen the last two years. And what you've seen is him be on the bench for 150 of 154 games. That's what it comes down to. He's not been available. And when he has before that, as you said, uber productive. He led the Pacers in scoring his first season. That bubble moment was terrific. King of the mid-range, which is kind of coming back to some extent, I think, for some um, and I, I really do believe every team kind of needs at least one player that can create and navigate around the mid-range. He's just a bucket getter. He's not one, by the way, that's drama-filled or is all about the brand. Dude just loves playing basketball, and that's it. And I think in today's day and age, that can be appreciated. But 
you're not healthy, you're not producing. And so I think those two scenarios you laid out are most likely is that either he gets kind of the Victor Oladipo contract where it's a, a league minimum and you come back in for one year and you show what you can do, or you kind of get the one and one with a team option. And I, I would guess because he's still young enough, because he's, you could argue now he's got some fresher legs and because he hasn't been playing, there's not a lot of rubber on the tire because he hasn't been playing. But you got to be concerned with fractures in, his, in both of his feet now over his career. He had his right foot, I think it was, in Phoenix like five years ago. Then the same exact injury last year uh, to his other foot. So that would definitely scare you off. And we haven't seen him play basketball really in a couple of years, even on the practice court he's had multiple setbacks um he was planning on playing and coming back this year then derailed yet again so i I would have a lot of caution that i would bring him in and what would tell you that he wouldn't have yet another issue or injury concern so i'm going and leaning more towards something like a one plus one for 10 million i don't know that's that's how i see it um it, it would allow him to get some more guaranteed money but if I'm an executive, you got to prove it that you can play a significant portion of the season before I commit substantial money. Uh, certainly, I think in this offseason, a low risk, high reward guy. Um, you know, you shoot your shot and see what what he can bring. Um, you, you touched on that scoring ability and and having potentially fresher legs looking ahead. Uh, certainly plausible. Another guy that's coming off a pretty significant injury that I think people forget. Uh, Indiana has Ricky Rubio. Um, <laughs> you know, Ricky, you know, one executive joke with me that like Ricky Rubio is kind of like the point guard r- whisperer. Cause when you look at uh, teams that he's been on, the, the younger guys at point guard tend to develop and they, they really commended what he did in Cleveland with helping Darius Garland kind of improve um, a behind the scenes there as a veteran presence. Um, it's unclear, you know, potentially when he could return next season to the court, but, um, you know, another guy that's kind of tough to peg in terms of what kind of contract he can get, um, you know, is he a sign and trade candidate if, if his bird rights are needed to facilitate a bigger trade? And, And you could say the same thing for TJ Warren. Um, what's your best guesstimate uh, in terms of what Ricky Rubio's future could be with the Pacers or how they utilize him as a, as an asset over the summer. So one, I know they were, they've always been a proponent of Ricky Rubio, big fan of his. I think especially Larry Bird was, but back in 2019, if you go back to what I was saying earlier about uh, Boyan, who's now in Utah, obviously, the plan was to re-sign Boyan and sign Ricky Rubio in free agency. And that was about as far as down the line as it could be without agreeing on a deal. Like I heard numbers for the deal, which, you, you know, like that means it's basically going to get done. But then they had that big pivot and the Pacers had to then pivot. Um, and Milwaukee was calling around and trying to do a sign and trade with Malcolm Brogdon and the Pacers were willing to do that. Then they signed Jeremy Lamb as well. But long way of saying there was previous interest in Ricky Rubio. Now, I just don't see it, Michael. I mean, he's, he'll, he'll be, by this summer, he'll be six months into an, uh, an ACL injury, right? 
and he's already 31. He'll be 32 basically before the start of next season. And we've talked at length about what the Pacers already have at point guard. I just don't think see any reason to bring him back. Um, and so I, I think, honestly, that is just bringing up cap space. They were able to move on, make several trades at the trade deadline, and bringing him back was one way to facilitate a deal. Fair enough. Um, I think the the other notable guy that they're going to have as a free agent going into the offseason is Jalen Smith. You know, when you looked at his trajectory in Phoenix, uh, buried on the bench, uh, you know, getting splinters left and right. And then he finally got a chance, he finally gets a chance to play. They kind of see, eh, I don't know if he's really a five, maybe more of a four. And then then they go out to get Bismack Biombo. They had JaVale McGee. You know, he was still playing behind Frank Kaminsky. Never really seemed like there was a future there. Comes to Indiana. Looks, you know, kind of a better scenario for him to get his opportunity. But they've got some CBA cap restrictions on how much they can pay him. That said, I don't necessarily know if a team is going to go that high. I think if they did, uh, you know, how much – I forget how much of a percentage it is over his current salary that Indiana can go. Um, but if a team here's, went – Here, I'll lay it out for you, yeah. Michael. Can he get more than $4.67 million for next season? If he can, very tough for the Pacers to bring back. And right. I, I don't think another team – I do think – Many teams would offer more than that. You think many? Absolutely. This is a lottery pick that has not realized his potential. He's 22. And when he's gotten playing time, he has produced with the Pacers. So, I mean, the, the deal that comes to mind for me is something like three years, 30 million for him. And obviously the Pacers could not do that. I'm, I'm writing about this here coming up on Fieldhouse Files. Basically, the Pacers have a number of options that they can provide for him. They could sign him up to four years, um, giving 8% raises, but the most they could offer him in total, let's say, over the four years is $21 million. I think he can do better than that. Interesting. I, I haven't done a deep dive on that. I, I, I'd have to ask some executives on it. That's interesting to me. I, I will get back to you on that, brother, because um, that's a fascinating – Michael, my basic thing is how many guys are getting five, seven, ten million, and you're like, oh, really? This guy's a, a lottery. He was drafted two spots ahead of Tyrese Halliburton, and so I think these are these are the type of guys. If you're Pacers and he's not on your roster, you're looking into because you're trying to find that guy that is badly misused or did not get an opportunity, and you think can shine somewhere else. That's the typical Pacers player that they go after. Now, I, I do know the Pacers did look into. And there were like a half dozen teams interested or at least talking to about acquiring him again at the trade deadline. Remember, they acquired him from Phoenix. Patriots could have then flipped him again. Um, they chose not to. And so I think the, I think they would like to bring him back. I just think their hands are kind of tied. Well, time will tell on his future. Um, but, you know, when you look at Indiana overall, uh, looking ahead towards free agency, our hoops hype salary cap expert Yossi Goslin currently projects Indiana to generate twenty-two million dollars in cap space, assuming they land the fifth pick, as currently projected. Um, any thoughts on potential targets they can have or positions of need they'd like to fill? 
Yeah, sure. Let's go first. Just position of needs for this offseason. The, the, the position they've badly needed now that they have point guard handled with Tyrese is that wing spot. Is that Paul George type player, the three and D, the guy that can defend? Because for one, they have not had a good defender to defend your new age type player. Who's guarding LeBron, Giannis, any of those, Kawhi, Paul George himself. Um, so that's a position they desperately have needed. They also kind of could use a power forward, that, that fierce, physical power forward type. They have the, the skinnier, versatile guy like a Jalen Smith that we were just talking about who's played a lot at the four. Isaiah Jackson, um, who's a rookie now with the Pacers, he can play some at the four as well. But I kind of would like to see more of that enforcer at a power forward spot, kind of like your David West of the past. Um, but for me, it's, it's wings and maybe – maybe uh, you know, a guy that can really defend because they need to get back to having that defensive identity that they have not had for several years now. So in terms of the draft, um, I, I will admit a little bit biased because I saw this guy every game in the Big Ten tournament right here where the Pacers play at the Fieldhouse. But Keegan Murray is the guy that jumps out to me from what I was able to see from him. He really, I, I think, helped his case during that, this season and during the Big Ten tournament. Now, Iowa flamed out in the tournament. Uh, NCAA tournament like they always do. I really like him. There's a lot of people locally that would love to see Jaden Ivey. Um, I, I think he's more of a, he's going to need some more time in terms of uh, development and such, but he does feel, fit that playmaking slasher, get to the free throw line type guy um, that they can, they could use. Um, but outside of that, I don't think you want too many other point guards like we discussed. They, they have plenty of those. They have Chris Duarte at shooting guard. So I see what the, the, the build type that they really need is that 6'8", that small four is what I would be after. But that said, again, this team has not picked this high since 1989, the last time they had more than 51 losses in a season. So you absolutely go best player available uh, at that spot, which will probably be top five. Be interesting to see where they go. I mean, I've certainly kept tabs on Paolo Bancaro, you know, who's hoping to restore Italian greatness after we lost in soccer to uh, Northern Macedonia. So, uh, you know, keeping tabs on him. Mm -hmm. I like the kid Mark Williams out of Duke. I know he's going to be not that high of a draft pick compared to the names we're talking about, but potential lottery-ish type of guy, first-round pick guy for sure. Reminds me a lot of Tyson Chandler, a little thought uh just some sparing thoughts i have forget, don't forget by the way uh, the pacers have a sec another first round pick from the cap and mark probably would be geared towards that you know mid to later first round so that's that's where the pacers could actually be able to get a guy like Mark. that's uh that's my scouting report on him it reminds me a lot of tyson chandler so um you know if they wanted to get him then that could certainly move the needle for uh miles turner and his uh future but um, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, which direction they go ultimately there. I, folks, certainly keep tabs on Scott's work with the Fieldhouse Files. Indiana has a lot of moves uh, that could be made, whether it's with trades or at the draft coming up. Uh, that's the guy you're going to want to follow. I appreciate you coming on and, and chopping it up with me on Indiana, brother. Always a pleasure. I appreciate it, Michael. Keep doing good work. Thank you, brother. I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members like Scott Agnes, 
You can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Scott, too. He's at Scott Agnes. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.